We are in a four-part series titled Scattered. With social isolation for healthcare reasons due to the pandemic, it has created a very unusual opportunity for us to think critically about our understanding of the church. You will hear us repeatedly, even before the pandemic, and certainly now, say that the church is not a building. The word church, ekklesia, just means people who are called out because they share something in common. It's not about the building. The building is only the place at which these folks meet. People are the church because they have been called out of the world to be followers of Jesus Christ, building or not. During the pandemic, when we don't uh, meet here at the building, it is helping us to clarify what the church is, that it is a, a group of people called out. It creates opportunities then for us to grow in terms of our understanding, uh, uh, new ways of thinking about the church and what I want us to realize this morning, this season of social isolation, when we can't uh, uh, assemble at a brick-and-mortar building, it creates for us a window of opportunity to deepen our fellowship, not to take away from it. Let me illustrate how it's possible, how fellowship can be deepened at a time of social isolation from a true story from my life. My wife and I, we met our senior year at high school, and we started dating over the course of that year. As we faced our freshman year in college, we had to decide where we were going to attend. Well, I decided to choose Northwest Christian College in Eugene, and Connie decided to attend Western Oregon University over there in Monmouth. We were separated by 60 miles. We were devoted to each other to the point of, during that time, trying to clarify what we really thought and felt in regards to each other. Separation demanded for us to communicate differently than the ease of high school when we met every single day, or pretty well every single day. So now with all of a sudden this separation, we had to think outside the box. If we were going to continue to cultivate this relationship, we had to come up with some new ways, such as letter writing, where you put the stamp on the letter and it may take three to four days to reach its destination, even though it's only 60 miles away. Pay phone calls, uh, surprise visits, uh, packages, gifts, to surprise one another. The fact that cultivating a relationship while separated demanded more effort and creativity, but it was in that time of demanding more effort and creativity, our relationship became solidified because it did demand more of us. Because relationship was not as easy as in high school due to being separated, our freshman year in college, it deepened. It blossomed. It was during that time that I became aware that we were moving towards engagement. It was in November of that second year, sophomore year, that 
I propose and engage. During that time of separation, we realized how true it was. Absence does make the heart grow fonder. It prompts me as a church family during this time of social isolation. We have been separated. Many groups have been trying to think outside the box how to communicate a, a, a affections and, and appreciation for one another. Will we come out of this season where it's been strained and demanded new ways of communicating and discover that absence does make the heart grow fonder? Will there be greater devotion? The first church in Acts 2 came through tragedy, losing their leader, Jesus Christ. In many ways, their hopes and dreams were both shattered and scattered. From a human perspective, it would have been understandable if they had abandoned their allegiance to Jesus Christ and to one another and simply went their former ways, abandoning one another. However, instead, it translated into a deeper, a clearer devotion to Jesus Christ and his message. The band of followers came through that season not just surviving, not just getting by, but they thrived. They grew exponentially. Let's look at it at Acts 2, 42 to 47. Acts 2, 42 to 47. I'll read it. They devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let me pray before we continue on. Lord, we've often said that this season, with the pandemic and the restrictions to meet collectively, provides us a window of opportunity. May we see that, understand that, and seize it. Use this passage this morning for that end. In Christ's name, amen. This morning, to help us, I want to answer two questions because my intended goal is to challenge us to a greater devotion to fellowship. Greater devotion to fellowship. I want to answer two questions. What is devotion? And what is fellowship? Because the first church, we read there in Acts 2, the very first verse, 42, that they were devoted to fellowship. So first, what is devotion? Devotion means you give something away. You set it aside. Like the word decaffeinated. You set aside the caffeine because of something else of higher value. Your setting aside is a statement about what you really value. You set aside caffeine to drink decaffeinated. The church in Acts set many things aside because of the importance, 
the value of the apostolic teaching, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. To devote yourself or to set things aside, you've got to do that with both good and bad things. Good things can also get in the way of your devotion to something greater. You must first know what you are devoted to in order to help you make decisions. A word you can use synonymously with devotion is commitment. The early church was committed to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And today we're only going to look at fellowship. Commitment. Commitment. Your ability to make commitments is foundation to all human relationships. To put it another way, commitment is what human relationships are all about. The nature of one's relationship is based on the type of commitment that you make to another person or a cause. Your commitment defines the relationship. For example, the commitment you make to your wife versus your boss defines that relationship. The commitment you make to your teacher or coach versus your dad or mom clarifies the nature of those relationships. Commitments we make defined the nature of relationships. The higher the degree of commitment we make in a relationship, the more personal it becomes. We as a culture are impoverished relationally because we do not like to make commitments. In a culture like ours that makes the individual an idol, we always want to make sure we have a back door to get out of commitments. We have made the self as an idol that is more important than the us. In the recruitment wars, I like college football, and I think this is kind of humorous. In the, in the recruitment wars, they're out to get young high school players to sign letters of intent or make a commitment to a particular college. And they announce with great uh, uh, excitement about somebody who makes that kind of commitment. But then months later, we read about that same person who committed, signing a letter of intent, can also decommit. If you make a commitment, always knowing in your back pocket you can decommit, do you really have a commitment in the first place? Do you agree with the following description of the Americans? Us, us listening way of video. Americans, they are friendly people, but rarely, rarely form deep and lasting friendships. Although social activities occupy much of their time, Americans avoid commitments to others. He does not, or she does not, like to get involved. The church in Acts, they were willing to make commitments. To set things aside because they believed in what God told them. 
They set things aside for the apostles' teaching, for fellowship, for breaking of bread, and for prayer. A result of this pandemic and social isolation, will we, will you, value relationships differently? Will you be willing in a new way to make commitments as restrictions are eased? To understand, to be able to make the commitments, first let's understand Christian fellowship, this idea of fellowship. Fellowship means being knitted together. There is commonality that knits us together. As personal beings, we are made for relationships, and there are many things that knit people together. People will join Rotary or Kiwanis because of interest in common service or community service. School booster clubs, uh, people get uh, joined school booster clubs because of pride in each school. A parent-teacher association because your child attends a school or a, a homeowner's association because you reside in the area. Besides the commonality that knits us together, these organizations can also be self-serving. There is something in my joining that is in it for me, such as Rotary. Maybe it's a, a good for my business. PTA, because I want my child, where he goes to school or she goes to school, to have certain advantages. Or the Homeowners, homeowners Association, because the value on my house will go up. Most of these are not bad things, but I want you to see when we think about Christian fellowship or being in a Christian community, God turns it upside down. It's different. Christian community is not based on common interest, nor what I get in return. Christian, a devotion to Christian fellowship is based on believing from God's Word he calls me to do this, to be devoted to it, to be devoted to fellowship. And that's why I commit. It's not because of what I get. It's not because of what's in it for me. But God calls me to it. It's the right thing to do. It's being obedient. What I discover in doing the right thing by committing myself to fellowship, allowing myself to be knitted together with a group of other followers of Jesus Christ, I get blessed. I realize secondarily there are great things in it for me. As we're going to hear a little later from a testimony. First things first, though, what drives fellowship is not what you get, but what you give. It is following the example of God who gave up His Son, Jesus Christ, in order to have fellowship. But the first expression is a willingness on God's part to commit Himself by giving, and likewise, we follow that same example. I think uh, Christian fellowship is more akin to the uh, Marines and how the Marines are knitted together. They are willing to sacrifice. You hear it in their statement, no one, no man left behind. They make a commitment 
The Marines make a commitment because they believe something to be true. And it's the right thing for them to do whether they feel like it or not. The bond is tighter because of a willingness to sacrifice and to serve their brother. You do not have Christian fellowship without that kind of a commitment. The fellowship described in Acts 2, this first church, was so attractively different than all the other uh, groups and cultures of that time. The church stood out that they grew exponentially, we see. In Acts 2, 41, 3,000 were added in that day. In chapter 2, verse 47, praising God and joined, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This idea of Christian fellowship was so unique and different. It was radically unselfish, not clearly seen before. See, Christianity attracted all kinds, primarily Jews there in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, but also Gentiles, the intellect, the barbarians, men, women, rich and poor. They took in so many people from different strata. Why? Because of a devotion to fellowship. Because they believed God. And relationally, they were all called out of the world to follow Jesus Christ. And that's what knitted them together. This was attractive. As restrictions to meet are lifted, do you want to engage with your church family differently? Do you want to find a group that are working towards increasing their devotion to this thing we call Christian fellowship? Now, introverts, introverts, we are not saying that you will have to go to every party and stay there till midnight. There are some personalities who gain energy from being around people, and there are some personalities that get exhausted from being around people. Extroverts, we are not saying you, there always must be a party. And the more, the better. No, regardless of your personality, and regardless of what gives you energy or what depletes you, whether it's people or, or being alone, what is important, that you find a brotherhood that you find a sisterhood, a, a, a group of people that are devoted to fellowship, this idea of being knitted together so that no man, no woman would be left behind. Let me give you, in closing, three steps. And I've taken these steps. You know, if you come out of this pandemic and you say, you know, I would like to take steps forward with greater, uh, greater um, growth in a devotion to this thing you call Christian fellowship. I, three steps from Gene Getz's book, written some time ago, but I think still applicable to us today. He, I take this from building up one another. Uh, but steps how to increase your devotion to fellowship. The first thing you must do, number one, Take seriously what the Bible says 
about brotherly or sisterly love. Personality, family, upbringing, culture may make what the Bible says about brother and sister love in context of a Christian fellowship very uncomfortable. You know, life groups are here to challenge you in that regard. Recognizing that relationally we all may be uncomfortable. It is to provide this place where you can work that out so that with greater measure, still being true to your personality, but you can challenge yourself to become knitted with others like you haven't experienced before. So take seriously what the Bible says about brotherly and sisterly love. Number two, evaluate your attitudes and actions towards other members of your Christian family. You can learn more about yourself by addressing what's inside you that makes it harder for you to be in a family with other people. Let that instruct you what God is trying to say to you. The challenge in Christian fellowship is not others, but it's you. It's yourself. If you've always been on the outside looking in on this thing we call Christian fellowship, but never able to experience it, here are four questions to ask yourself. That might be a barrier. That may be keeping you from taking risk and entering in with your hands open to receive relationships from others. Four questions. Do I fear rejection? Have I had a poor family background? I've never seen relationships like that. There's always been strings attached. The third question. Am I basically angry and resentful? And the fourth one, do I spend most of my time thinking about myself? The third step to take as we come out of the pandemic and really any time, if you want to be more fully devoted to fellowship like we read here in Acts 2, if you identified any difficulties that I've mentioned above, seek help from a mature believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody that you can trust. To live in a community that is devoted to fellowship provides you a great context to face the truth about yourself. You cannot live in community devoted to fellowship unless you are willing to look at the beam in your own eye before you start seeing the speck in your brothers and sisters. We call life groups here, they are a tool. They are a tool that we uh, prayerfully considered and invite God to use to help us grow in this characteristic of what the New Testament church expressed as devotion to fellowship. A good life group provides an environment, a gracious environment, for you to do your work. 
you know, life groups are like greenhouses where seeds of Christian fellowship are planted. It's a controlled environment. That's why grace has to permeate that whole environment. It's a controlled environment because we want seeds to sprout, to take root, and to grow. We recognize that people are going to be taking on new values, new characteristics, new behaviors that they have not experienced before. And it's going to be awkward at times. Some of these relationships uh, don't come naturally. Life groups are to provide the environment that will help nurture them so that you will be able to uh, enter in more fully both the giving of yourself relationally, but also receiving from others relationally. That's what it means to become devoted to fellowship. You know, another layer you, you hear us talking about fellowship is what we call DNA groups. Because the nature of some of this work, depending on, on the depth that you want to enter into fellowship and the level you want to be knitted together with others, is quite personal. And sometimes even in a life group that may have 10 or 12, it's not going to be comfortable. And that's why we talk about outside uh, a part of Life groups, another layer is what we call DNA groups that just stand for discover, nurture, and act. Three men with three men, three men uh, uh, together, three women together. Where you can do some of your work to grow in your devotion to fellowship so that you can go back into your life group. You can come back into your worship crowd with a greater sense of relationally connecting and ministering to people. If you want more information about life groups, contact you know anyone on staff, certainly myself, who oversees that ministry, uh, email, uh, because we want you to experience exactly Acts and what we're going to hear about shortly. We don't want anyone left behind. We don't want anyone left alone. Join me in prayer. Father, God, thank you for the great challenge of Acts 2 and that church. Here in America, it's quite a bit different, our culture and how we value the self and independence. Humble us, Lord. May we look deeper into your word and see how you created us. May we commit just because of your instruction that we are to be knitted together, which demands commitment. May we come out of this pandemic with a more realization of that and humbly submit to it, Lord. And you use those tools that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.